I want to preach this morning, I want to speak to you this morning, I want to tell you a story this morning. Really, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you a parable, a modern parable. Jesus taught in parables. He didn't teach any other way. He did not just go out and give abstract, unrelated truths. He got them down to the grassroots. He got us down to where we live. Why did Jesus teach in parables? Because that's how we learn. That's how we learn. We learn in pictures. We learn in parables. All theology is at heart autobiographical. All theology is at heart autobiographical. It begins with an experience. And then you try to put that experience into words, into definitions, into form, into music, into architecture. But it begins as an experience. Now, a story, and Jesus just told dozens and dozens of them, and uh, they have just stuck in the mind of the world for 2,000 years, unforgettable, you love them as children, and as you get older, they take on new meaning, not because the story changes, but because we change. We bring more experiences to that, ex to that experience that he's talking about. We bring uh, an expanded life with a greater accumulation of events, which that truth can apply to. So the parable doesn't change, we do. We grow and mature and we develop. So a story, a parable, is really like, it's like a mirror. It's like a mirror... And that is held up there in front of us, and we look into that parable, and what we see is more than in the story. What we really see is ourselves. We see a picture of life. We see a picture of our life. We see a picture of our mind and of our spirit. I want to tell you a modern story, a modern parable. And uh, it was no accident that I read from the 15th chapter of the Gospel of Luke in the parable of the lost sheep. Everybody in Jesus' day, nearly everybody, had sheep, or had had sheep, or was caring for sheep as part of their occupation or responsibility. So it was a universally felt emotion when he talked about losing a sheep. Now, Monday night, we had a meeting here at the church, had a great Bible conference this past week with Dr. Bill Austin, and we had services last Sunday and Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday night, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday noon, and Martha was here at noon and uh, was planning to come back that night. I stayed here at the church and just waited for the meeting. And So after the meeting, I looked out here and I didn't see Martha, and so I knew something had happened. Went back there to the foyer, uh, the telephone back there, and I called Martha at home. And the minute she answered the phone, I knew something was wrong. She said, Buckner, Princess got out. Now, Princess, if you don't know her, and a few of you do, and you've heard me refer to her before as one of the members of our family, which she is, has been, for the five years of her life, picked out by our Lisa when she was just a little pup. Pup has slept on Lisa's bed for all these five years, never been out of the house or her backyard, fenced-in backyard. She doesn't know what the front street looks like. She doesn't know what's out there in the neighborhood. Just that backyard is her domain, and she loves it and roams freely there and our house, and she's an integral part of our family, Princess got out. Now, Princess is a little miniature dachshund, about a foot long, about eight inches high, and she weighs six pounds. Now, you, you're going to laugh some today, and that's okay because I'm going to laugh with you, but I want you to know when Martha told that to me, that was no laughing matter. That's serious business, friends. Serious business. Well, I want to find out. Am I who I'm talking to? How many of you have lost a dog or lost a cat 
or lost a horse or something like that's important to you, and you went out looking for it. May I see your hand? Wonderful. Parables everywhere. You see? Okay. I didn't have a car because Martha was coming in the car, so I said, J.W., would you take me home? J.W. Fortner took me home. I started looking for Princess the minute I left here. Martha had been out looking, had come back in waiting for my call. She called Stephen, who does all of our television, as you know, and Stephen was out at the studio editing these uh, TV spots to get them to the station. Hard work, responsible work, delicate work. He left it, just walked away from the studio, went back home and started looking for Princess. Martha got in touch with Lisa. Lisa and her boyfriend, Mark Johnston, came over to the house. Everybody out walking up and down the streets calling out, Martha riding around in the car calling, Princess, Princess. <laughs> I got home about 8 or 8.30 and I started looking. I drove places I've never driven in our neighborhood, drove through alleys, walked places. Steve got uh, a flashlight and Lisa were out. And here's the thing we found out later. At about uh, 6.30 or 7 o'clock, someone had robbed the Handy Andy there about two blocks from our house. And the guys who had uh, robbed the Handy Andy had jumped in the car, sped down Rock Hill two or three blocks, ran into a stone fence, jumped out of the car, ran up a drainage ditch, and there were police everywhere telling the neighbors, don't go out, these men are armed. <laughs> and there we were out walking around, you know. that. The last time I went to look, Steve and I went to look at about 1.30. No princess anywhere. We, well, we, we were really depressed. Called Mike up in, in Waco. He started calling every hour on the hour <laughs> for a report on princess. Got up early the next morning. I got up before daylight, got on my sweat clothes, my running gear, and I went out and I started walking all through that neighborhood calling princess and calling princess. I knew she might be out roaming around early, and I was looking for her, and Steve got out and went up to the store and got some stuff to make a sign and started tacking the signs up around, one up at Woodridge School, one at the corner of Rock Hill and Woodridge, one at the corner of Cave Lane and Woodridge, and one up at the shopping center at Richmond Oaks. Now I want to show you Steve's artwork. <laughs> Look at that. There's nothing delicate or refined about that, is there? I mean, that tells the story. I mean, when you've got a lost dog, you want people to know it. Lost. Brown miniature dachshund. The sign's three times the size of the dog. <laughs> Brown miniature dachshund. Been just up here, very small. Named Princess. Last seen. Sounds like a fugitive, doesn't it? <laughs> Last seen on Woodridge Street near Rock Hill. If found, please call our home number there and then 733-6201, the church number, because they knew I was going to be down here during the day and they were going to be out looking for the dog. And then down there in great big letters, good reward. <laughs> Y'all see it? Okay, it'll be up here. It's going to be a part of the museum here at the church. <laughs> Put that sign up everywhere and started looking. Boy, no luck. I came on down here to the church and got... Some things done, and we were getting ready for our noonday Bible study. And uh, I was standing out there in the hall, and Betty Drone, who was answering the phone at that time, came running out there and said, Buckner, it's somebody about your dog. Went in there, and it was Mr. Ed Blumenthal. He said, uh, 
I saw one of the signs, and he said, uh, call the first number, and there was no answer. And I said, well, that's, uh, that's because they're out looking. And he said, well, what kind of dog is it? I said, it's a little brown dachshund. Doesn't have a collar or anything but, uh, on, because we've never let her out. He said, well, I could tell that. He said, I, I have your dog. And uh, so I went over to his house. He lived down on Rock Hill, just a few blocks from our house. I borrowed Dan McClendon's car. It's important that you remember that. I borrowed Dan McClendon's car because I didn't have a car. They were using all the cars to search for princes. I borrowed Dan's car and uh, left the Bible study. I figured it's okay if the Good Samaritan, you know, could stop instead of the folks who were going to church passing him by and I was going to go get that dog. So I jumped in the car anyway, and I rushed out there to Ed Blumenthal's house and went in, and uh, I said, Mr. Blumenthal, I cannot tell you how grateful I am. He said, well, I was coming down, uh, and then he told me how he'd found Princess. He said, I saw the sign, I called you, and he said, I took your little dog to the vet, be sure she was okay. He said, and I have a couple of dogs, and he said, I fixed her up a place, and she slept warm last night. He said, she was so frightened, just shaking with, with fear, and I said, well, tell me how you found her. He said, well, it's a strange story. He said, uh, I was coming back from the Oak Park Shopping Center at about uh, 7.30 or 8. He said, there were police cars everywhere because of the robbery up there. And he said, a woman pulled up at the stop sign at the corner of Rock Hill and Nacogdoches. And when she stopped there, she said, uh, he said, I saw this little dog run out of the bushes right under the car and just sit down, just with fear. And he said, the woman driving the car didn't see it and said there was a girl coming the other way on Nacogdoches, said she saw it, and I saw it. We both stopped our cars and jumped out and ran over to that woman. Don't move. Don't move. <laughs> well, she didn't know what. She just paralyzed there in the car. And they said, there's a little dog under your car. Well, Princess was so frightened, she, she wouldn't come out. They stood there and called. A police car came along, saw what was happening. Two policemen got out, and they, <laughs> they surrounded that car. Here are these four people. They were afraid she'd run out into the traffic because they could tell she was terrified. And they finally coaxed her out, and uh, Mr. Blumenthal said, listen, that's somebody's pet. That little dog's never been out, said she's not going to last five minutes out here on this street, so I'm going to take her home. So he took her on home, and next morning he got up, and he went up to the drugstore for some stuff, and coming back, saw that sign right there. That's the one. He saw that sign. It was at the corner of Woodridge and Rock Hill, and he called me, and I went to get Princess. Now, I want to talk about her this morning. That's the name of this sermon, Princess, a modern parable. You know what happened to Princess? Happened to sheep, according to Jesus. In fact, it happens to all of us. That little dog was lost in fear lost in fear. What does it mean to be lost? So often we put a narrow theological definition upon that word, and we say the Lord came to save our souls, to be sure he did. That's exactly what he came to do. But the soul encompasses all of life. The soul is truly that part of us that is eternal, that part of us breathed into us by God himself. But the soul is not some little pea-shaped gland down there at the base of the skull. The soul is the totality of life. And he came to save every aspect of life. He came to save not only that eternal part of us that is going to live forever, he came to save that temporal part of us. 
In fact, when Jesus said he came to seek and to save that which was lost, he intentionally uses the word that in the neuter, implying that he has come to save everything there is to save about life. He's come to save our talents and our energy and our relationships and our homes and our hopes and our dreams and our plans. He's come to save everything about life. He's come to make life better. Well, how in the world then do we get lost? How do we get lost? How did princes get lost? Did princess get up Monday morning and say, okay, I've had it here. I am going to butch up my life. I am going to get out of here by some method, and I'm going to go out there and endanger myself and frighten myself and jeopardize my health. No, that dog didn't do that. You don't do that. You know how that little dog got out? She was wandering around back there in that backyard, and I work so hard, we have to make sure there, there is no possibility of escape. I've taken firewood and packed it along uh, back there at the fence where she might dig under because she's so little. But around there at the gate, the bottom part of the gate was kind of warped a little bit, and if I, I pushed on it, it would open up about three or four inches wide rather easily, and that's all the space that Princess needed to get out. She didn't start out to get lost. It was just there. Here was an opportunity. Here was something that she thought she always wanted, and then when she got what she always wanted, she wished she hadn't found it. But it was sort of exploration, and suddenly, there it was, and it happened. Whether it was spontaneous, whether it was emotional, whether it was volitional, whatever it was, doesn't make much difference. It happened. But she didn't start out to get lost. She was not trying to hurt herself. Nobody does. You don't. I don't. But you know, we don't have to go far to get lost, do we? Princess, Princess hadn't gone 50 yards until she was outside of familiar territory and had no idea where she was. She'd never been out there. She'd never explored like that. The only time she'd ever been out in the front of the house was when we'd carry her out and put her in the car to take her to the vet. She didn't know that world. And you don't have to go far to get lost. I don't. I don't have to stop reading the Word of God or praying more than a day or two and some distance begins to build up and the relationship just not what it ought to be. I can ignore Martha or my children. I can get preoccupied with work good things, nothing wrong in it, nothing intentional about it, but don't fan those codes of love, don't reassure that person of your commitment. Just a little distance. You don't have to go far to be separated. The far country may be less than 100 yards. Steve made a marvelous statement. He said, she did not know she was lost. She just knew she wanted to be home. She didn't know she was lost. She just knew something was missing. 
Augustine, the great theologian, said there is a God-shaped blank in every man's heart that can be filled only by God. You have kind of a homesick feeling down inside. You have kind of a hunger down inside, an empty spot down inside, a lonely place down inside. There's, there's got to be more to life than this. There's got to be more than hiding from automobiles and being afraid of people. There's got to be more, and I don't know what it is, Theologically, it means to be lost. I just know I'm not where I want to be. I don't have the joy that I once had. I don't have the peace that I once had. I just want to be back. I just want to be home. You know, the result of this lostness is fear. That's a strange thing, isn't it? The result of lostness is a sense of fear, uncertainty, apprehension. Princess was never more than two and a half blocks from our house all night long. She heard us calling. She heard us calling until 2 o'clock at night and starting at about 5.30 the next morning, but she was paralyzed by fear like she was paralyzed under that car when people were calling for her. For some reason, she pulled back. We've never hurt that dog. We've never done anything but love her and care for her and feed her. Why in the world would she do that? That's the result of that lostness. It creates a fear. Like when I go back or if I go back, I'm going to be punished, though there is no precedent for it, there is no argument for it, there is no proof of it, yet people feel that way. Why in heaven's name do people feel that way about God? What we have done to God is sacrilegious. He's never done anything but care for you and love you and want you and feed you and he calls us and like Adam and princess, we hide. We hide. And what was Adam's response to God's question? I was afraid. Oh, my friend here today, don't be afraid of God. He's not going to punish you when you come back any more than we punished princess when we found her. He's going to feed you and hold you and love you and secure you because he cares for you. He cares for you. Lost in fear. Now another point. Butner's buddies, get ready. Here comes point number two to the sermon. They're outlining this sermon. Point number two. Look with love. Look with love. Why did we go looking for princess? Why did you go looking for your dog? Why did you go looking for your cat? Well, it wasn't anything but a little old dog. Wasn't anything but a little old cat, just some fur. Right? Wrong. That's right. Wrong. That's part of your life down there, isn't it? That little old dog, that little cat. Part of your life. Say, why, there's no intrinsic worth to that little animal? There is if it's yours, right? What is man? Oh, he's just a pile of dirt put together with eyes. What's he worth? Well, boil him down to his intrinsic features and he's just a little pile of dirt there, not worth anything. Until you are 
of intrinsic worth to God. And suddenly you're not just flesh and dirt and skin and blood and bone any more than that little foot-long hot dog is that. Princess has intrinsic worth because she's loved, and you have intrinsic worth, worth more than the entire material universe because God loves you. God cares for you. Love wants you. And love always looks. It always looks. It always advertises. It always sends out the word. It goes out and it calls. It searches at night. It advertises in the paper. It even takes the time to sit down and write it down in big letters. And I happen to have one of the big letters here in my hand. And you've got one, many of you, in your hand right now. Right across it, one great word. God loves you. That's what he says on every page. He's advertising here for your return. He's pleading here for your rescue. Love always does that. Love always advertises. Love always walks. Love always reaches out. Love always contacts. It always reaches out to touch. Reach out and touch. He calls us and he doesn't call collect. He reaches for us and he puts no conditions upon it. He comes to us. A doctor can't fix a broken leg from across the street. The doctor can't fix a broken leg from across the street. I don't care how much compassion he has and how much concern he has. It always walks its way out calling and searching and touching and loving and lifting and healing. And it is the most powerful force in the world. The most powerful force in the world. Oh, somebody says, come on, Buckner. That sounds like preacher talk. You preachers always talk about the power of love and the power of kindness and the power of compassion. Some of you may know Fred Smith. He's a good friend of mine, has been for years. One of the most remarkable businessmen and Christian businessmen in America. For many years, president of Jarman Shoe Company and then president of the General Shoe Corporation, later president of the Bullet Watch Company. Very successful businessman, now has a consulting firm in Dallas, Texas. Very devoted Christian. Fred Smith uh, was speaking not long ago at some business meeting and the man on the program immediately prior to him spoke on this. He said, all right, we've got to get down to the bottom line. It's a new word, isn't it? Got to get to the hard facts. Got to quit just sort of messing around out here on the periphery. We got to get to the hard facts. It's the hard facts that make a difference. Fred Smith said, I sat there listening to that speech, and he changed what he was going to speak on later. And he said he got up and... Uh, he said, now, I'm not disputing my friend's statements a moment ago. There certainly is a time to add and subtract everything. There's a time to total it all up. There's a time to look at the bottom line. There's a time to consult the hard facts. But he said, I want to propose something for your consideration today, and I want to propose it for your consideration today. What changes the world? Not hard facts, but soft facts. Soft facts. Love is a soft fact. Kindness is a soft fact. That's what changes the world. Water, thin, fragile, soft. Who makes the river? 
Do the boulders and the banks make the river? No, the water makes the boulders and the banks. Did Grand Canyon make the Colorado River? Or did the Colorado River make the Grand Canyon? Soft water moving through that stone through the centuries, cut it like love will cut hate. The most powerful force in the world. The soft fact of love. It moves mountains of fear and doubt and boulders of resentment and prejudice and hostility. But what moves them? The love pushes them back. Buckner's buddies, I want you to underline a word. Look at it there in that 15th chapter of Luke. One little word that might not get your attention. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep, lost dog, lost cat, whatever it is you look for, until, and the word I want you to underline is the word until, until he finds it. And I want you to remember this, mother and father and everybody here. I want to underline something in your mind through that word until. The unwearying persistence of God's love. The unwearying persistence of God's love. He never gives up. He never stops searching for you. And when he finds you, what does he do? When I went over to Mr. Blumenthal's house and Princess came running out to me when I called and I heard her little feet sliding on that, that uh, terrazzo floor back there, couldn't get there fast enough and started licking my face, what did I do? Turn over to him. I'll teach you, you dumb dog, to run away from me. Or when Mr. Blumenthal called the church and said, I have your dog, did I say, Mr. Blumenthal, would you go in there and please ask my dog if, he is if she has repented? Because if she has not repented, I'm not going to come get her. The princess have to send word to me that she had repented before I went after her? My, where we get this idea of God and where we let certain words lodge in our minds. Do you know what C.S. Lewis said something? One of the greatest statements I ever heard about repentance. Repentance is not something that God demands of you before he will take you back. It is simply a description of what coming back is like. Repentance is not something God demands of you before he will allow you back. It is simply a description of what coming back is like. Do we need to talk to princes again about how much trouble there is outside that fence? No.
And do you know what they do when they find that sheep? And when we found Princess? And when you found your dog or your cat, what'd you do? You did what we so seldom do. We're so afraid to do. And that is rejoice. Read that word in there. That's the theme of these parables. This theme of this story. The joy of the Lord. He came back and he called all of his friends. Called all of his neighbors. And he said, come on in. We're going to have a party. We're going to have a feast. Martha and I were talking this morning on the way to church about the Sunday school lesson. And uh, it's on the narrow way. Martha had a great idea, and I hope she talked about it in her class. I'm going to use it as part of a sermon idea. So I'm going to use it right now, for that matter. Come along talk about the narrow way. Do you know the image that a lot of us have in our mind about the narrow way? The narrow way, man, I mean it is tight and it is tough. And if you are not careful, if you happen to move a little to the side, somebody is there to zap you and you have got to work like the devil to get to heaven. I mean, you have got to just be certain that you're in the narrow way. Do you know what the narrowest way in the Christian world today is? Made narrow not because God limits it, but because a few of us are walking in it. It's the way of joy. It's the way of joy. I tell you, there are so many Christians who profess to know the Lord who are depressed and downcast and negative. You have not yet tasted what it means to be found. You may be a Baptist, a Methodist, a Bible-thumping Presbyterian, whatever you are. If there is no joy in your heart and in your life, you have missed what it means to be found. Joy. That's what they did when they brought that sheep back. They had a party. Now, I, I, I did not tell you the rest of the story intentionally. It's not over. I got Princess, got her in Dan's car. He loved that. Got her in Dan's car <laughs> and uh, went looking for Martha and Steve. Well, I went to the house. They weren't there. They were out looking. I knew that. It was about 12.30. I went up to uh, Oak Park. Thought maybe they were up there putting out some more signs or something, and I saw our car in front of the La Posada Mexican restaurant up there. <laughs> a lot of cars there. And Martha and Steve had been out looking, and Martha said, Well, Steve, we put out the signs. We've done about everything we can do. Why don't we go eat a little lunch? So they'd gone into La Posada, and uh, as it was, it so happened, they were seated at the table right next to the window. Well, I came driving up there, and I pulled in the only parking place that was open there on, in the front, drive-in parking, and it was right opposite the window. And there's a little thin drape there, and I could see Steve and Martha across the table from her, and Steve started looking out to the car and later told what he said to Martha. He said, I looked out there and said, Mother, you know, it looks like Dad in that car. <laughs> but that's not his car. <laughs> and I could tell both of them kind of looking out there, and... Uh, light the sun, you know, on the windshield, and all they couldn't tell too well who it was, and I knew they didn't recognize me. So I reached over there, and I picked up Princess, and I held her up there right next to the window. <laughs> and Steve was looking at her, and he looked outside, that, and he saw me, and oh, he just disappeared out of the, and came running out of the restaurant, right behind him, Martha running out of that restaurant. She left her purse in there. They were screaming and hollering, we found her. And people were there, found what? They didn't know what was going on. All of the waiters came over there and they were all standing there, these people, <laughs> looking out of the window at us out there, hugging and kissing that dog. 
I tell you, we took Princess home. We fixed her in her little old apartment area back there, a little spot where she sleeps a lot of times during the day, and food and water, and we comforted her and kissed her. We went in and called Mike. They had a revival meeting at Baylor. They called Lisa up at school. They found Lisa and got word to her. At school, we had found Princess. We called our friends. Martha called her mother. We said, rejoice with me. We found our dog, which was lost. And I tell you, God says there's a, there are angels in heaven rejoicing over that one fact. Do you know what sets heaven rejoicing? It isn't when we're successful. It's not when we're good. It's not when we make a lot of money. It's not when we preach some great sermon. It's when we are found by the love of God. My friend, in fear today, some part of your life out of relationship today, you're loved today by an eternal God who has an unwavering, persistent love for you. And he wants to find you and bring you home to love and security and fellowship. Let him do it. Let him do it. I have come to seek and to save, said Jesus, everything about you that's out of relationship, everything that is lost. Don't hide under the car of postponement. Don't run into the bushes of procrastination. Come. Come. Let's stand and let's sing. Lord, before we sing, we ask you to bless these moments. Bless these moments with your presence, with your spirit. And dear God, may the soft but powerful fact of your love reach out to us right now. And may we reach back in trembling but positive faith through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let's sing.